Happy Labor Day to you. I'm just so honored you're here. I remember back in the day when Abundant Life was uh, so small, when we were starting, that we used to uh, cancel the services at our location and then go camping, uh, and the whole church went camping. How many of you were a part of that group that went camping? Okay, yeah, some of you guys. And we eventually got so big that we took over the campgrounds, and then we were starting to make a bad name for Abundant Life Church, <laughs> so then we had to can that thing. But no, it really fun, great, uh, great season of, uh, of our church's history. But uh, anyway, I'm so glad you're here. Happy Labor Day to you. And Dave's going to mention this a little bit later, but let me take a second and just invite you to make sure that you are here next week as uh, Pastor Jeremy uh, preaches his first message here as we launch a new series called Narrative, Life's a Story. And I'm excited for the series. He and I are going to share that series. And I'm excited to do that with him. And I want you to be here. I want you to invite your friends and your family and, and even your enemies to come and to be a part of, of this. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful series. Now, today we are concluding the series that, that we began about a decade ago. And uh, actually it's been about eight weeks. And so this is week nine. And uh, this series is one that we've called Masterpiece. And as you know, in this series, I've had you each week to repeat this phrase after me because I want this to become ingrained in you. I want you to believe this, okay? And so, again, I want you to repeat after me. Today is a gift from my creator. And what I do with it is my gift back to him. Therefore, I will make it a masterpiece. And I really do hope you believe that, that this is a gift that God has given to us, and that as we unpack this gift and as we live out this day, that we will indeed make it a masterpiece. We've looked at a couple of verses when we started this series that remind us of how important every day is because we don't know when the last day is going to be. One of those verses that I want you to read with me is Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. And so with lots of enthusiasm, as only the second service can do, let's read this together. Teach us how short our lives really are so that we may be wise. I met a gentleman on his way out that today is 97 years old, and, and uh, it's just it's so awesome. He's here in church every single week, and, and we got some other guys running around about that age, and I think, man, that is so cool. We got other people, obviously, that are way, way, way younger than that, but the reality is it doesn't matter, you know, whether we live to be 100 or whether it's 20 or whatever it happens to be in, in relative to eternity. Our days are short, on this earth. And so, God, would you help us to live them in a way that's wise? And one of the challenges that we face, and we've talked about this in this series, is that we have trouble making today count because we over-exaggerate yesterday. And we put, we put so much stock in what happened yesterday, and if we could only go back to the good old days. And then there are some people who, maybe it's not yesterday, but they're dreaming about the future, and they overestimate tomorrow. And, and, yeah, the future may be great, but you don't know. We have no guarantee about that. So we overestimate tomorrow. And as a result of doing both of those, we underestimate today. And this is the day that God has given to us, right? It's the only one that we're promised, and you and I don't even know how long this day we will live. And so the Bible, again, teaches us. Let's read this together. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. And so we need to unpack this day and hopefully give it back to our Creator 
as a masterpiece. Now, one of the reasons that it's hard for people to do that is because we tend to live our life by default as opposed to living our life by design. And whenever we live our life by design, we say, God, I want to cooperate with you, and I want to be involved in, in making the big decisions of my life and then managing those decisions on a daily basis. And so I encourage you, if you haven't thought about it, do so. Think about what really matters to you. What really matters to you, if you remember back in the first message in this series, and maybe once or twice throughout the series, I, I, I drew this little diagram for you guys, and I'll do it one more time because, you know, you've got to come up and, with your own and think about, you know, what really, really is important to you and what matters to you. And as I think about my own life, I think about my faith is, is obviously number one for me, my, my relationship to God. My family is, is premium, and it definitely comes way, way, way high on the list when I think about what really matters to me, my, my spouse and my children, my grandchildren, my mom, my sisters, my, my family members. I, I think about uh, my, my fitness is important to me. And we talked about that last week. In fact, somebody wrote me a note this past week and, and said, Pastor George, you literally saved my life this week. He um, was having some kind of an ailment. He kind of took the message to heart, went to the doctor. doctor says, it's a good thing you showed up here because you may not be alive had you not shown up here. And so, I mean, that was, that was so cool. But it's just an important area of life. We think about uh, finances is important. You've got to figure out, is, is that important to you? What's that mean? I think about my field. And, and by that, I mean my career, my job. That, that's important. And you know, how do you want to live your life and spend it out? I think about a free time that I have. You know, all of us have a certain amount of free time and how you use that to, to develop yourself in your life. And uh, I think about, um, let's see, faith, family, fitness, finances, feel, free time. My friends, think about those who are close to me. You know, you don't have to have a lot of friends in life and, and all of that, but you do need a few close friends who can do life with you. We all need community. And then the last one for me is, is my future. I, you know, I don't overestimate the future, but you do have to plan and you do have to think about that. And so what I'm saying is you and I have to make big decisions one time and then manage them on a daily basis. Manage them on a daily basis. What does that mean? A part of that means making the decision that you're going to grow in these areas. And again, you figure out what yours are, but figure out, you know, what are important to you. And then say, I'm going to grow in these areas. Did, did you realize the most important gift that you can give to the people closest to you, the people you love, is to grow yourself? Did you know that? I think the most important gift you can give to, I look at, let me take it personally, the most important gift I can give to my wife is to be a better person of faith. The most important gift I can give to my wife, my, those close to me, is, uh, is to say I'm, I'm going to be the best husband, the best father that I can be, best grandparent I can be. The most important gift I can give to, to my spouse and to my kids, my grandchildren, is to stay in, in good health. You see what I'm saying? The most important gift you can give to the people that you love is to grow yourself, improving yourself, you know, investing yourself, those, those kinds of things. And, and so it's, that's, that's about managing your life on a day-to-day -day basis. So, so make the decisions. What's important? Manage that. A part of that's growing in these areas. But sometimes people say, 
But it's, it's so hard. It, it's so hard to do that. And it's hard to change because we get comfortable with where we are and we wonder why does nothing ever change in my life? And, and oftentimes it's because we resist change. And I know people who desperately want to change their circumstances, but they refuse to change themselves. And as a result, they stay bound in where they are. And, and so I want to challenge you to, to um, in, in many respects, embrace change. Grow and develop in these different areas. Because I do know this, that you, you'll be wherever you are in any of these areas of your life in a year from now based upon the changes that you make today and based upon the decisions that you make today and the habits that you develop today. And so make big decisions once and then learn to manage those on a daily basis. When we talk about today is, is commitment because a big component in, in us giving every day back to God as a masterpiece is that we have to come to a place where we're people of commitment, that we're people of our word. And we live in a society today where you don't see a lot of commitment these days. You know, what is commitment? My favorite definition is the ability to, to stay with a decision long after the emotion in which the decision was made is gone. It's gone. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second, but it's this tenacity. It's that stick-to-itiveness. It's, it's like, okay, I've, I've decided what's important, what matters to me, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that I'm faithful, that I stick with it and do it. I came across this video this past week, and I was looking, I thought, that's a good picture of commitment. That's a good picture of tenacity. I want you to take a look at this. Isn't that great? Don't you, don't you love to see tenacity in action? Don't you love to see commitment in action? What you don't know is that video was actually about 15 minutes long, and so we reduced it down to about 30 seconds. But, you know, everybody wants to clap when they see that and say, yeah, way to go, man, way to go. That is so awesome. That is so cool. And, and don't you want people to look at your life and say, you know what? You're a person of commitment. You made a decision about your family. You made a decision about your faith. You made a decision about this or that, and you stuck with it, and you, you saw it through. And I just want to applaud you because we, we love commitment. And yet in our society today, people have become so accustomed to making excuses about why they can't keep their commitments, why they can't be people of their word. And what I've discovered is this. If, if you're committed to something, you'll find a way. But if you're not, you're going to find an excuse. It's just the way it is. I see it happen all the time. If you're committed to your faith, you're going to find a way to grow your faith. If you're committed to your family, you're going to find a way to stay faithful and committed to your spouse. If you're committed to something regarding your finances, you're going to find a way. You just will if you're committed. But if you're not, I guarantee you, you'll find an excuse. You'll find an excuse. And we see it all the time in our society. And I, and I know that, that God in his word, he calls you and me to be people of commitment. 
He really does. You can look all through the Bible, and you'd find people of commitment. You'll find Bible verses about commitment. I've given you a couple that you can see there, Psalm 37, verse 5. Read this with me. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he'll help you. Commit everything you do. Commit everything you do. Commit your faith. Commit your family. Commit your friends and your finances and your health and all these things. Commit everything you do. Commit everything to God, and he'll help you with that. I look at another verse that, that comes through us from Joshua. It's one of the greatest verses in the Old Testament that talks about commitment. When Joshua had assumed the leadership of the people, the baton had been t- passed from Moses to Joshua, and they're about to enter the promised land. And, and, and he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. In other words, make a commitment. Make a commitment. Whether you're going to be committed to the gods of your ancestors that you served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living right now. But as for me and for my family, for my household, this is our commitment. We're going to serve the Lord. And you can find verses and stories of commitment throughout the Bible. One of my favorite is the, the, the book of Daniel. And a lot of you are familiar with Daniel and the story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Don't you love, I love those names. And this, this story begins, and, and throughout the story, there's, there's, there's uh, pictures of commitment throughout. But if you remember the story, King Nebuchadnezzar got this wild hair that he wanted to erect this golden statue. And this thing was going to be nine feet wide and 90 feet tall. I mean, that's really, really big. And whenever the music played, then everybody was supposed to stop what they were doing and then bow down and, and, and worship this thing. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had made the decision, we're not going to do that. We're not going to bow down to this thing. We don't care what he says or what everybody else does or what everybody else thinks. We're not going to bow down. And so the music plays, and sure enough, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't bow. Everybody else did, but they're standing up, so it's pretty obvious who's not bowing down. And King Nebuchadnezzar was so angry, he was so furious, he called them into his presence, and his face was red, and he says, what is this? You're not bowing down before this statue as I've commanded you to do, and, and you will do this, or I'm going to heat the furnace seven times hotter, and you'll be thrown into it. And then what God is going to be able to save you? he asked. And they responded by saying, relative to your last question, Nebuchadnezzar, we've already made our decision in the matter. We will not bow down. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace. If you don't don't know the story, go read it in Daniel. Why why did they do that? Why did they make that decision? Because they made a commitment. They made a commitment and they followed through on what they said they were going to do. You go later in the story, is Daniel. King Darius now is in charge, and, and he's determined he's going to place 120 rulers over the province. And over these 120, he's going to pick three who kind of stand out among them. And, and he looks at, at, at Daniel and, and even a few others, and he says, these three I'm going to put over everybody. And then as he looked at them, he noticed, well, there's something unusual about Daniel. There's something that even causes him to stand out more than the, the two and definitely the 120, I think I'm going to put him over the entire province. Well, the other rulers didn't like this idea at all. And so they, they said, we've got to come up with a way to stop this. 
And so they went to Darius and said, we think you should issue a decree that nobody should pray to any other God except for you and, and, and your gods in the next 30 days. And so he says, that sounds like a good idea to me. And so they made the decree. It's one he couldn't, re- even he couldn't reverse it. And they did that because they knew that three times a day, what Daniel would do, would, would go up to his upper uh, deck in his house, and he would, he would open the window, and he would open toward Jerusalem and get on his knees and pray to God. And so they determined the only way we're going to get this guy is if we can find something that has to do with his religious practices. And they knew he did this. And so, sure enough, they, they went, they caught him doing that. They took him to Darius. And Darius says, what is this, Daniel? You know that, that the decree says you pray to no one else but to me for the next 30 days. And he says, I only pray to God. Do what you need to do. And even Darius didn't want to, but he says, I have no choice. But I have to throw you into the lion's den. And he threw him into the lion's den. And again, if you don't know the story, go read it. But he survived. But why? I mean, why? I mean, it's simple enough. Okay, I just won't pray to God. I'll just quit my quiet time for 30 days. Everybody will understand. But he couldn't do that. Why? Because he was a person of commitment. He was a person of his word. Person of commitment. Now, it's from these stories that you and I and many other stories in the Bible that we can learn a lot about commitment. So this is what we learn about commitment from this story. Here, here's what I see. The first one is this. My commitments, they shape my life. My commitments, they shape my life. They shape who I am. They define me. They define me. Make no mistake about it. Your commitments or lack thereof, they, they can develop you or they can destroy you. But either way, they will define who you are. Most of us, can look back over the course of our lives, and you can go back to, to one or two or three or four times in your life where you made a significant commitment that literally changed the direction of your life. It literally changed the course of your life. I remember about 29 years ago when Ann and I made the decision to move to Oregon to start a church. When we made that decision, it literally changed the course of our life, and it shaped who I became. It shaped who we became because they have a way of defining who you are. That's what your commitments do. Now that Pastor Jeremy and Michelle are here to continue the leadership and to continue writing Chapter 2, an Abundant Life Story, make no mistake about it, their decision to leave Arizona and to leave family and, and a successful ministry to come to uh, Oregon and to, to continue leading Abundant Life Church, that will be a commitment that will shape their lives. It will define who they are. See, this is what we have to understand. My commitments, they do shape us. Here's number two. My commitments will help me overcome many of life's obstacles. My commitments will help me to overcome many of the problems, many of the obstacles that I have in life. How many of you have an obstacle that you're dealing with in your life right now? How many of you have a problem that you're dealing with right now? Okay, good. About maybe 10 of you, okay? All right. That's pretty good. You guys are a pretty fortunate people. Listen, I could sit down with you, and I'll bet in five minutes I could under, uncover a problem that you have, okay? It might be a, a spiritual issue. It could be a family or relational issue. It could be a fitness issue. Wouldn't be hard. Yeah, I could, I could, um, 
just teasing. It could be a financial issue. It could be whatever it is. But you've got an obstacle. You have a problem. And this is what we have to understand is, is how you're going to deal with that obstacle. Because people of commitment deal with them differently. Many times the obstacle is not the problem. Many times it's your perspective on the obstacle that's the problem. You see, people who are people of commitment, people who are people of the word, whenever there's an obstacle that gets in the way, people who lack commitment, they see obstacles as being permanent. Our guest is here and is here to stay. But people of commitment see them as being temporary. People who, who uh, lack commitment, they oftentimes see obstacles as being something that's unsolvable. There's just no answer to this problem. There's just no answer to this, to this, this uh, obstacle that I'm dealing with. But people who, who are people of commitment, they, no, they see an answer. They see it. And you know why? Because here's the basic difference with people of commitment. People of commitment see obstacles as the way. Just stop and think about it for just a second. Whenever people of commitment come in contact with an obstacle, it's not something that stops them. They just come to the conclusion because they have the perspective, no, that's the way to what it is I'm trying to achieve because they understand that the obstacle is the way. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say, you know, let's just take one of those. Let's say your family, your relationships, okay? You want to be, how many of you want to have successful relationships? How many of you want to have a successful marriage? Husbands, this is a great opportunity to raise your hand right now. <laughs> Don't be stupid, okay? Okay, and so, and, okay, good for you, good for you. You're, you're a little slow, but that's okay. Better slower than never. And, and so, you could take any of these. Again, as you know, I cannot write and speak at the same time. S-U-C-C-E-S-S. -S. Okay. See, many times, if you want to be successful in your relationships and, and all of that, this is what many people think. They think that the road to success looks like that. It's kind of uphill, and it's just a straight shot, right? That's what people think. They think, hey, we get married. How many of you, when you got married, you thought it was going to be relatively easy? You know, we love each other. She's, you know, she's really good, and, 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 and he's all right, and it's going to be okay. Okay? And so you think it's going to be relatively easy to, to get there, you know, and be successful. You know what it really looks like? It looks more like this. That's what the road to success looks like. And so people of commitment, when, when you run into the mountaintops and you hit the valleys and all that stuff and, and things are topsy-turvy and going all over the place and you can't figure it out, guess what? People of commitment, they say that's no problem because the obstacle is the way. I tell people that if you, if you, uh, if you like success, you're going to hate failure. If you like success, you're going to hate failure. You know why that is? Because the only way to success is through failure. And so the obstacle is the way. And so what I, what I learned, you know, from, from these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were people of commitment. And even though there were many obstacles along the way, they learned to overcome those obstacles because they recognized that's just the nature of commitment. It's the nature of commitment. Here's number three. My commitment will be tested daily. 
My commitment is going to be tested daily. If you make the decision to, to be faithful in your relationship to your spouse, it's going to be tested. If you make the decision to get out of debt financially, and, and it's going to be tested. If you make the decision to get healthy, it's going to be tested. It's just the way it is. My commitments will be tested on a daily basis. Now, the problem is most people see commitment as an event. It's not an event. Commitment is a process. Commitment's a process. It's not an event. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I've done more marriages than you can shake a stick at, okay? I got three coming up this month. And, and I will have couples to stand before me. It's going to be an emotional moment. And everybody's going to be excited. There'll be people laughing. There'll be some people crying and, and all of this. But it's going to be an emotional moment. And in all of these, these, these weddings, the couple will say in one form or another, I do. And they think they made the commitment. No, they didn't make a commitment. All they did was speak a couple of words. They made a decision. Where's the commitment lived out? Day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, year six, 42 years, 50 years, however many years it takes. That's where the commitment is lived out. So it's one thing to speak the words. It's another thing to live it out. How many people you know, buy a, a health club membership and think, I've made the commitment, I'm going to get healthy? Right? How many people buy a treadmill? I've made the decision. You know, I've made the commitment. I'm going to get healthy. I bought myself a treadmill. No, you didn't. All you, you didn't make a commitment. All you did was buy a treadmill. All you did was buy a membership. All you did was make a decision. Where's the commitment lived out? Day one, day two, day three, day four, and, and so on and so forth. Because my commitment's going to be tested on a daily basis. And so how do you embrace the commitment that you made wholeheartedly? How do you do that? Because, again, once you make the commitment, it will be tested. So how do you hold on to it so that you don't break it? Let me give you a couple of thoughts to go along with that. First thing is you've got to count the cost. Count the cost because if your commitments are going to define you, then you better count the cost of, of the commitment that you're making. When I look at this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you go to Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they said, we don't need to answer your last question, Nebuchadnezzar. And his last question was, what God's going to save you now? They said, if our God, whom we honor, can save us from a blazing furnace and from your power, he will your majesty. But if he doesn't, then you should know, your majesty, that we'll never honor or worship the gold statue that you've set up. He can save us if he chooses to. If he chooses not to, that's okay too. But we've made the decision. We've counted the cost. You can heat the furnace. That's okay. We won't bow down. And so they counted the cost, and they knew the cost was high. The price was high. And, and now, for you and me, the, the cost of our commitments typically don't cost us our life. But they do cost us our time. Sometimes they cost us relationships. Sometimes they cost us money. Sometimes they cost us significant change in our life. Sometimes it means being misunderstood. But there's a cost. And so the second step is then I need to pay the price. Because once I count the cost... Now, if I'm going to keep the commitment, I've got to pay the price. 
There's, there's always a price to be exacted from the commitments that, that you and I make. Again, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 16, earlier, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, but in, in now coming to Daniel himself, the, the king gave this order, and Daniel was brought to him and then thrown into the lion's den. And, and so he had to pay the price. Why did he pay that price? Why couldn't he find an excuse? Certainly he could have found a justifiable reason not to pray three times a day. But he didn't. Why? Because he counted the cost, he knew what was coming, and he was willing to pay the price. You see, every time you and I make a commitment, it doesn't matter whether it's with your faith or whether it's with your family or with your friends or with your fitness or with your finance, it doesn't matter. Every time you make a commitment, there's a price to be exacted from that. You have to give up to go up. You have to give up something in order to get to a better place of where you want to be in these areas. What you and I have to determine is this. Is the price that I'm paying worth the prize that I'm receiving? Is the price I'm paying relative to any of these areas, is it worth the payback? Is it worth the prize? You see, you count the cost, and then you pay the price. So how do you and I manage this, this discipline of commitment? Let me suggest a few things, because we're talking about how do you manage any of these things we're talking about on a day-by-day basis. Here's the first thing. I must expect that keeping my commitments will not be easy. I I just need to expect, I need to um, flip some switch in my mind when I make a commitment that this is not going to be easy. If keeping commitments were easy, then guess what? Everybody would be doing it. And that's why we see so many people breaking their commitments because, honestly, it's just not easy to keep them. I love 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 where the writer says, I have fought the good fight. I mean, you can hear the intensity in his voice, in his phraseology, in the word pictures that he chose about keeping his commitments. I fought. I had to fight for this. I have finished the race. I finished this thing. I've kept the faith. You can, you can hear the commitment in his voice, and you can sense that it was not easy just from the terminology that he chose. Here's number two. I must be faithful with smaller commitments before I'm ready to take on larger commitments. I need to be faithful in small commitments before I'm ready to take on commitments of a greater nature. I see this in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, where it says Daniel had resolved, and that's just another way of saying he committed himself He says he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, but he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, this this was a small commitment, relatively speaking, because this was not going to cost him his life. It was basically a dietary decision that he had made, and he had reasons for making it. But it was a relatively small decision And the price was probably relatively small. 
but it, it, it built something in him. It created something in him that caused him to be able, when the bigger test came and the bigger commitments came and the bigger opportunities came, that, that he was able to be faithful in the bigger things because he was faithful in the small things. Over the years of this church, on occasion, we'll have people to come and they want to be put in a position uh, of great leadership of some sort. And, and we'll say, but wait a minute, before we do that, let's, let's look at, show us where you've been committed thus far. So, so have, you, have you gone to the membership class? Have you, have you been through a small group? Have you, are, you, are you giving? Are you attending regularly? Well, no, I kind of hit and miss, and no, I haven't got around to giving yet, and, and I don't really want to go to the library. But you want to do what? You want to lead what? And you haven't proven yourself faithful in smaller things. And, and so, be faithful in small commitments before you take on larger commitments. Here's number three. I must value character over talent. Again, we're talking about commitment, and we're talking about managing the discipline of commitment. And whenever you talk about commitment, you've got to talk about character because, char- because commitment is a character quality. In other words, don't rely on talent alone. You and I have to, to value character over talent. I remember years ago listening to T.D. Jakes speak. We were at a conference. In fact, some of our leaders had gone to a conference, and, and although I don't agree with everything T.D. teaches theologically, but this was a leadership conference, and, and I remember him making a statement, and, and it so impressed me. He says, never let your talent take you places that your character can't keep you. And that was so good. I never forgot that. Never let, your, never let your talent take you places where your character can't keep you because if, if, if you allow your talent to take you places that your character can't keep you, eventually you'll break your commitment. And, and I see it happen. I, I've, I've wrestled with it in my own life. And, and I have, you always have to keep your character in check in order to remain a person of your word. And to be a person of great character. Because what happens is, you know, charisma and talent and ability, it may get you in the door, but character is what's going to keep you there. And so never let your, your, your talent take you places that your character won't keep you. Always value your character over your, uh, your talents. In Daniel 1.6, it, it, it says this one little phrase, speaking of Daniel, said, among those who were chosen. Daniel was not the only talented person in that group. There were lots of talented people, but there was something about Daniel that was different. You know what it was? It was his character. It was his character that showed itself in his commitment. And so don't, don't, ever, don't, ever, don't ever miss that point. Here's number four. I must stay focused. If we're going to manage the discipline of commitment, then we've got to stay focused. How many of you would agree there's a lot of things in this world to distract you from what you've determined is really important in life? Yeah, there's lots of things that, that can distract us, so stay focused. I love Paul's, his, his spirit when he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead. He's, he was just focused. He was determined to do that, to stay focused. If you go to the end of your life notes, there's a verse that, that I, I, I kind of moved up here, and I want you to look at this because I want you to see the focus and the determination when it speaks of Jesus. In, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 3, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles us. In other words, the things that distract us, okay? Stay focused and get rid of the distractions and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Everybody say, fixing my eyes. Fixing your eyes. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, who's the, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition and sinners. Again, distractions. Opposition, those who were opposing him. So that, why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Making commitments is really easy. Keeping them is really difficult. And, and so you and I have to determine that we're going to stay focused. And here's number five. I must resolve to remain faithful. Resolve to remain faithful. In other words, don't quit. Don't quit. The, the big difference between people who are successful in these areas and people who are unsuccessful, it really has very little to do with talent and ability. It has everything to do with commitment. It has everything to do with commitment. And many times people fail because they let go too early. They walked away too soon, and they were just inches away from success, or however you define success, and they, they walked away. And they quit too early. They gave up. I must resolve to remain faithful. What's commitment? As I described earlier, it's the it's the ability to stay with a decision long after, I mean long after, the emotion in which the decision was made is gone. That's commitment. And that's what I want to challenge you to be, a person of commitment. Paul in Galatians describes it this way. He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, being committed, staying faithful to your word, for in due season, we will reap. And some versions say, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we don't give up. I, I want to close with this reading from Frederick Flack. He says, most people can look back over the years and identify a time and a place in which their lives changed significantly. Whether by accident or design, these are the moments when, because of a readiness within us and a collaboration with the events occurring around us, we are forced to seriously reappraise ourselves and the conditions under which we live and to make certain choices that will affect the rest of our lives. And we are never too old for that to happen. Some of you today, you might be thinking, it's impossible for me to be a person of commitment because I've broken so many. What you have to understand is that commitment is not an event, it is a process. And yes, you will. There will be times where you will break commitments. That's where you ask for forgiveness and you get back in the saddle and you commit again to God and you keep moving forward and say, from today on, I'm gonna be a person of commitment. From today forward, I'm going to be a person of my word. My challenge to you is that, that you would be a person of commitment because it's the glue that holds everything together of what we've talked about so that every day you can hand it back to God and say, God, thank you. This was a gift. 
I'm giving it back to you. My desire is for it to have been a masterpiece. And so, one more time, I want you to repeat after me this statement. Today is a gift from my Creator. What I do with it is my gift back to Him. Therefore, I will make it a masterpiece. I'm going to ask you if you'd bow your head and close your eyes. And Father in heaven, today uh, we commit our lives to you. We recognize that this day is a gift that you've given to us. You didn't have to give us life today, but you chose to. God, help us to live this day and every day that you give to us in such a way that we bring honor to your name and that we make it a masterpiece, that we make everyone a masterpiece, that we live it to our fullest and highest potential for your glory and for your honor. We all here recognize that the greatest act of commitment was our Heavenly Father giving to us his only son so that we could have eternal life. And the greatest commitment you will ever make is committing your life to Jesus Christ. And so if that's your desire today, I want to ask you to repeat after me this prayer. And for those of you who've made this decision, would you repeat that as well? Father in heaven, today I commit my life to Jesus Christ. And I receive him as my Savior and Lord. I pray this in his name. Amen.